You are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Emswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome back to our show, Reverend Dr. Harry Eberts III from First Presbyterian in Santa Fe, who is also the co-founder and co-president of New Mexicans to Prevent Gun Violence, as well as the co-president of the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Reverend Harry, welcome back to our show. Well, I am so glad to be back. I think you said I was number four, and it seems like such a long time ago to be the fourth guest in your show and then see what's happened now ever since then. So thank you for inviting me back. So just to clarify, that's not a ranking of fourth in any way, shape, or form. Uh-huh. <laughs> the fourth person on the show and it's wonderful we've you know this podcast has been reaching out to people all across america and then all around the world interviewing people it's lovely to also come back to somebody in santa fe especially a colleague and friend it, it's it's wonderful to have you back with us well, thank you so good to be here yeah so let's let's focus you suggested that we talk today about faith communities as we transition out of the pandemic society, which is a a wonderful, really relevant, really important conversation. I think the starting point has to be, what did your community do, First Presbyterian do, while everything was shut down? How were things different for you? Well, in fact, you know, if you recall a year and a half ago, well, 16 months ago, 15 months ago, March 8th was our last Sunday. And then that following Thursday was the last time we had the church open. We were closed except for our preschool, our Childhood Development Center, which kept open every day. We had teachers and kids coming through every day. And it turns out that when we thought that uh, 99-year-olds could not use Zoom, in fact, they can. And so we were able to keep going. That was, our, I think, our oldest member on Zoom that I can recall. And we had everything continue as far as I can, can recall. Uh, it took a little while for some groups and ministries to get going again. But actually we found ourselves thriving in that system, at least for a while before Zoom fatigue uh, caught up with many of us. Uh, So basically we just never saw each other in person. The building in the meantime was cleaned and cleaned and cleaned. Uh, We've done our floors in the sanctuary that has such a terrible smell to it. It's been two months and we're just getting rid of that smell. So we could not have done that if we were hoping to get back to church every Sunday. So a lot of good things happened in the result of a really a bad things happening in the world. We were able to continue ministry and uh, keep in touch. That was our big focus, keep connecting with each other. And uh, I'm so glad though that those months are over with and that we're hoping to get back together soon, which we are reopening as we speak. I mean, it's fascinating. We've gone on almost an identical journey. Our preschool remained open. We closed very briefly. um, And then our preschool reopened and has been opened all the way through. But we closed for services, I think, a week after you. Um, And we're just coming back to to prayer services on site now with some restrictions, vaccination and so on and masking. But but it's fascinating for me. I found this journey of the last 16 months 
really difficult, really painful as a member of clergy. And I, I wonder if you can speak to, to your journey as, as a, a pastor, as a shepherd of a flock who aren't even in the same room, providing pastoral care um, from a distance unless absolutely urgent and, and so on. How, how has it been for you as a clergy member going through the pandemic? You know, I've gotten used to being at home. For one thing, my, my dogs love me being at home. Um, but I get energy from being in the presence of people. And so um, I found out in the last few weeks as we start to gather together in person, how much I love that, how much I really enjoy being uh, close to each other and talking and telling stories and not having to try to break in on some conversation that may be going on screen. And it's kind of hard for me to do that. And so, um, you know, it's great to see people in a little rectangle like this for 16 months, but I sure, um, have had a yearning, I guess, get back in person. And that's where we all come from. Uh, I know it's clergy people. I think most of us like people, I hope. You know? <laughs> It'd be nice if we did, and all of us did. And I, I think we do our best when we can be uh, real and be present and be right there uh, for, for anyone. And for me to be there in, uh, with them in front of me as well. So uh, it's, been, it's been hard. I think... Uh, you know, I've, I've told my wife, Jenny, many times, I can't wait to get back. Mm -hmm. You know, it's fun to be around, I guess, the house, but no one else is. And I need to be with people. So anyway, I'm, I, I don't want to go back, uh, Neil, so don't make me go back. <laughs> you know, it's, it's fascinating for us, you know, when you mention the dogs. At the end of our service, and we have Hala. And now my dogs, you know, from Zoom, and I'm leading the service in my slippers, which I never did before. And um, we finished the service and the dogs know when I've reached Adon Olam, they start coming running because they know there's color, they know there's going to be bread. And so I have to kind of push the dogs away. So I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to miss that, um, you know, miss having the family walking around nearby. I mean, the family come to services when they can, obviously. But it's a different feeling. It's a homeliness. It's an intimacy, which I think I've we, we actually started leading the service just from the sanctuary, just ourselves, myself or Rabbi Jenny. Uh, and it was very lonely and isolating. And when we moved to Zoom, it was interesting because we found it was much more personal. Um, and some people reported that they're used to praying, looking at the backs of people's heads and they're used to praying quite a distance from me physically, but now on Zoom, you can see everyone's faces and see everyone's names. So it's, it's been a different, it's a sort of loss and a gain, isn't it? No doubt about it. And I do know that my dogs, um, and one of them ha has been on um, the video worship services we've had for almost these uh, 16 months, always with me and knows exactly when uh, I'm done with the benediction. He's in my arms until then. So he's gonna miss that a whole lot. Um, but I understand what you mean. There's some good things we've learned. Um, we've learned that we can reach people uh, outside of Santa Fe, and they rely on us. We've gotten letters from across the country, even world, saying, you know, we uh, you know, kind of came across your worship service or your, your ministry and just found a, a, to like it and to tune in. And we're going to do our best. I think most faith communities that have had that are going to try to do hybrid versions of what they've yeah. been doing. And, uh, and keep in touch. I would hate to say goodbye because we just don't need you anymore kind of thing. So we'll continue. Do you, do you worry 
I was going to say, do you worry as I do? But nobody worries like I do. I'm Jewish. We worry about everything. Uh, do you worry as I do of, of two communities almost, the in-person community and the Zoom online community, the people who... We had Rosh Hashanah services, the New Year services. They were extremely successful. They were very different. And somebody sent me an email saying, I love the fact that I could follow the Rosh Hashanah service sitting on my couch at home in my pajamas, sipping margaritas. Um, how, are you worried about people not coming back? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I know that, um, oh, I hear stories where since we haven't been the first one to start to have services in person, that people went elsewhere where they do start services in person. And I say, that's so sad to me because we build a community and we are a community and I'd hate to lose people because we weren't um, the first ones on the block to, uh, to open our doors. Um, I'm worried that people may have kind of lost the rhythm. Perhaps uh, you get used to going every Sunday for, you know, in our tradition. Um, you get used to maybe attending some kind of group and they haven't done that for a while in person and you just kind of fill your evenings with something else, your Sunday mornings with something else. So it'll be really interesting as we return. We, we started returning two Sundays ago. Uh, we have a, a church, historic church close to the plaza and we have a triangle of Grant and Griffin streets and there's a beautiful tree there and there's a terrace outside of our sanctuary doors. So we've gathered the last two Sundays at that terrace under the tree. And that is so nice. Uh, it's 11 o'clock in the morning and the sun's not beating down too much. The tree's shading us and I, the people are still in masks because we just don't know who's gonna show up and maybe feel uncomfortable and so forth. And so here we are, um, but only, you know, how many people, a remnant of the exiles have returned. Right. and and. Uh, we hope more will, and we hope that we will gather more people because they're kind of curious about what we did in the past and what we might do in the future. It's really so, interesting that you compare it to the exiles. I mean, obviously, that was a Babylonian hint, wasn't it? Um, the exiles, returning from exile. Has it, has it been an exile? You know, in many ways, it has. In fact, I've couched that in those terms uh, using uh, the first few chapters of Ezra. Um, which are, are not in our lectionary, our, our regular three-year cycle of scriptures. And I've been having so much fun with that story of Ezra and what did they do when they came back and what do they face and how do they deal with it and so forth. So I bring up some of those ideas uh, to the group there and just we just add it to our list. How do we return? How do we welcome people? How, how does the community around us welcome us back into a, a you know an active church? So it's fun. I mean, it, it, for me, I, I found this process, I agree with you, fun, because we have a reopening committee who discuss things and so on. But it's also painful in some sense, because we know that people are in different places, aren't they? Some, as you said, want to return. And if you're not returning quickly enough, they'll go somewhere else. And some are nervous about returning. And, and suddenly we've, we, I, I feel like we've opened up an experience where we were unified in our religious presence at least not necessarily in our religious practice but we come together for services now we we i i notice a sort of a differentiation between people who want to do this quickly and people who want to do this slowly and it, it's almost brought in not just an exile from the place but almost a little bit of an exile from each other in terms of what does that mean for us we're approaching services in a very different way now i think 
Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I think back to uh, Ezra chapter three, verse one. And in our tradition, uh, we use the new revised standard version of the Bible. And in that verse one, I'm sure you know it by heart, uh, Rabbi, uh, but it says that they're returning, you know, in the seventh month. And it says as one person. Right. In Jerusalem, my translation at church does not include as one person. It's, it's not there. And so I've been having fun with that, saying, how in the world can we be one person? We can't even agree on where to go to lunch afterward, you know, after <laughs> service. But how can we do that coming back? Because we have so many different fears, so many different ideas about what church is, so many different, you know. So it, it's a real challenge. Uh, and so when I say fun, yes, it is fun. But when I say fun, challenge is part of that. Mm. Um, and, uh, and sometimes just saying, oh, oh my, really? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> What else can I say? Yeah. So. Well, we have to take a pause for a moment. Um, we're, we're talking with uh, Reverend Dr. Harry Eberts, the third from First Presbyterian uh, here in Santa Fe about faith communities as we transition into a post-pandemic world. And we will be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. With me, Reverend Dr. Harry Eberts III from First Presbyterian in Santa Fe, also the co-president with me of the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. And we were talking before the break about faith communities and moving into an almost or heading towards a post-pandemic world and the challenges we face, um, particularly as as uh, Reverend Harry was saying about what does it mean for us all to be as one? Let, let me ask, what have we learned from this pandemic? This 16 months for us, it's been 64 weeks of, of online services for others, a few more, a few less. Some of the things we've learned, some things I've learned have been extremely positive and empowering. And some of them I'm really struggling with. What, what is it that you've learned that's positive? What is it that you've learned that's challenging? Oh yeah, boy, there's, there's so many ideas there. Um, you know, one thing I learned is that we don't have to be scared of technology. Mm -hmm. you know, earlier about a 99 year old being on our Zoom calls. Well, you know, if I would have said that before the pandemic, hey, let's all go on Zoom, everybody. It sounds like a fun thing, just stay at home, be in your pajamas, so forth. Um, I would have gotten no one on the screen. Um, and no one could have gotten on in the first place, couldn't figure it out. We've learned technology. We learned it's here to stay. Right. That's one thing. And I'm just so happy that, you know, we've all done that in some form. We still mute ourselves. We still, you know, do funny things on screen, but we're kind of used to that. And that's kind of part of what we do. Uh, another part <clears throat> is that we don't have to have a location. Well, we were away from the church. Um, but ministry was still going on. We didn't have uh, our committee meetings or our, our fellowship groups inside the building, but they were still happening um, just in a different way. Uh, you know, all the money we spend on buildings, you know, as faith communities, and we wonder what the future will bring, whether that's going to be um, using the, you know, the best use of our money or will we figure out other ways to connect with each other? Um, I think... You know, I think this is a reformation. I'm not calling it quite a reformation. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. But I just call it a reformation. We're all reforming something all the time. Right. This is forcing us now. We've probably been in a reformation period for, in my tradition, maybe 70, 80 years. Right. Um, going through something that we don't know where it's going to end, but something's happening here. We don't, 
have a, a handle on. And this is forcing us now to open ourselves up to the winds of God's spirit, whatever that might mean, the sacred in the world, uh, ways that we can uh, see each other in different, different uh, ways and way we can reach out to people. Um, let's not forget that. Right. And that's one of the things I wanna keep learning is how not to forget that we can do something different that I can't remember everything I did before the pandemic. I'm going through the order of worship and I'm saying, wait, is that right? We did all that? And I'm thinking, we don't need all that anymore. Maybe we do things a little more streamlined, maybe more silence in worship mm-hmm. and not fill up with words. And that still small voice, you know, is, is a, a big factor in what we might be doing. Um, we've been able to reach out to people beyond our walls and they know us. We may not know them, but they've seen us. And so how do we incorporate them in? Um, and uh, I hope we've learned that spirituality is important to us. Mm. That we need to, you know, let's let's talk about the scriptures more. Let's, let's have that as a basic thing we do um, because it informs so many parts of our life that we need to kind of wrestle with that. Let's, uh, let's go beyond the hello when you see somebody um, you know, at church or other places and really get underneath the hello and find out who they are and what's going on with them in these smaller group settings that we've developed. But let's en- encourage that. Let's build those relationships and let's then go out into the world and actually um, be mindful of, of our calling to make a difference, to find some healing that we might be able to do for others. So uh, there's a lot of, I've, t- I've kept a list and I've been sharing that list with the congregation of things I've learned. And so we talked about it each month at our board meeting, our, our governing board meeting called the session to find out, okay, what have we learned all of us together now? I think I mean, it's fascinating. Some of what you're saying that the not having to be scared of technology reminds me when I was a teacher many years ago, before I was a rabbi um, of a kid who was 12 years old and we were, working out creative blessings. What else could you create a blessing for? And he had a blessing for using the internet. Um, And at the time it was a little bit jokey because his blessing was dear God, something like help us to keep our eyes on appropriate things, which was clearly, you know, a 12 year old boy indicating what he was actually looking at online. But actually the, the idea of, of technology being a blessing, if it had not been for all of these online possibilities, our, our, our pandemic experience would have been so profoundly different. So, so it's not just not being scared, but almost blessing and being thankful for the extraordinary ability to connect in ways, as you say, people all around the world following our services, listening to our podcast and, and so on. I, I question about not having to have a location though, because people have been yearning, people yearn for place. They need just as the tabernacle in the wilderness, just help focus, help uh, allow the people to gather. You know, when you were saying about let's go beyond the quick hello. I mean, yes, we can have those conversations on Zoom, but it's more exhausting on Zoom. And there's a reality. So I feel like it's I feel like for me, following on from what you're saying, the pandemic has helped us reassess how we use place but still reminded us of that yearning of, I, I need to be back there. I need that sanctuary almost. Well, there's, there's no doubt about that idea. And I'm thinking uh, as well about all the churches that have closed because they can't afford their building. And so what would that mean in the future? Mm. If 
can't afford the building. We've had a great time under a tree, you know, in front of our sanctuary doors. But is that viable uh, here in Santa Fe with our weather all year round? Right. Right. You know? And so are there ways out there that we can still be connected, still find place in our lives, in, in our faith, but also uh, not be so attached to a building where, you know, we spend, you know, most of our money, it seems, on building. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It really is. I find it very interesting when you're talking about how much, essentially, our hand has been forced to develop. And I think as clergy, we've all known for a long time the changing spiritual models of, of people in society have um, necessitated us to think outside the box, but we've been very often, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, too nervous to take something and be ambitious with it and, and so on. You know, if, if I had turned around two years ago and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to close the building for 16 months and, and see what happens. People would have said, of course you're not doing that. It's crazy. But we have learned from this so we've had our hand forced in our reformation of our religious identity which uh, i love the idea of writing down a list of things we've learned um let me ask you though you you shared a lot of things that seemed very positive which totally is in keeping with my understanding of you as an extremely positive human being but there are negatives as well i've 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 learned of privilege i've really seen privilege during this pandemic of people who are healthy suddenly being forced to see people who are sick and people who are healthy suddenly coming to terms with the realization that at any time they could be struck down. And I think it's made people more vulnerable, which I think has the potential to be extremely empowering in terms of taking care of each other. But I've been very surprised how many people um, had held on to a, a feeling of security in their lives and suddenly lost that feeling of security. And I wonder if that has been your experience too, a sort of surprise at how much we, as far as I'm concerned, we live on a precipice. And I always say that. And that for me is the almost the essence of Judaism, that every day we wake up and we say, thank God I open my eyes. Thank God I can get out of bed. Thank God I can put on my clothes. Thank God I have food. You know, it's because I shouldn't. It's extraordinary. But, but there seems to be, have been a real shock, I think, in our society of, oh, we, we actually are on a precipice. I wonder if, if that's reflected or resonated in you in any way. Well, you know, haven't we stripped away a lot of layers that we kind of piled on us in our daily living, you know, and think that we needed to do this and that and we needed to keep busy and uh, we weren't able to, to do those same things again. And it, I think it brought a lot of uh, wandering, uh, you know, wondering, wondering and wandering. Right. Um, you know, uh, it brought a lot of free evenings. Now, what do we do with them? Mm -hmm. you know, don't fill them up with meetings or, you know, going out to the movies or whatever. We can't do it anymore. How do we do it? We got Netflix, right? And Share <laughs> yeah, about what next Netflix uh, series they love. But there's something deeper going on, as you, you've mentioned. You know, I think it really brought us face to face and bringing us face to face with humanity that is such in such crisis. Um, we've seen this in our political world. We've seen it, you know, in, in the hospitals that were overflowing. And we've seen it in just the pure desperation of families 
being uh, separated by glass. They couldn't even touch right. their, their grandma or somebody. You know, all these things kind of came on us all at once I mean, in, a, in a great way, a big way. And, uh, uh, you know, I think it, it made us stop. And it made me stop and think what is important. What happens if I don't make it through? You know, I had COVID, a mild case. What about those who had major cases and didn't make it? You know, what do you do with your family? All those questions are deep questions that I, I think I can only answer by, you know, being with a community, uh, wrestling with them, um, you know, weeping and, and, and shouts of joy, as it says in Ezra again, you know, all together. And we all hear those at the same time. Right. And I think that's kind of who we need to be, uh, not be afraid to weep and to have it mixed with joy. And that's, that's our life. That's humanity. And, and not be afraid of it. So I agree with you. You know, there's a, a really sad, dark, you know, abyss that we had to, had to face this, these past 16 months. And uh, I hope we learn from it somehow. I hope we take it with us that this, this is what human, humanity can be and what we can do to each other uh, under stress. And I think, I mean, I, I appreciate we only have about two minutes left, but um, when we face that abyss, when we realize that we're standing on a precipice, it can help us appreciate what is true in our lives, what we value in ourselves. When a person lives their life and then suddenly they're struck down and they're given another chance, the transformation within them can be very profound. And I feel like we've had the same on a personal level, on a communal level, and on a social, like national and global level, that the randomness of life, that you can be struck down at any time. So what do we do with that? Well, we could become totally nihilistic, or we could say, right, so embrace and enjoy what we have. So any, any final thoughts from you as we, as we move out um, into this, not post-pandemic world, because we're still very much in a pandemic. Um, but in this transition period, where, what are you looking at? What are you, what are you hoping for? Where are you aiming? You know, I'm always hoping uh, for things that swirl around the word heal. You know, for some reason, um, uh, healing has that, that kind of word that goes deep into my soul uh, and ways that how can we bring some healing to our own lives, mine, yours, the people we know, but also to the larger humanity around us? There's so much need that's been even more revealed and, and, and peeled back so we can see just the utter suffering that, that we experience in life and that many of us have been fortunate not to have all of those experiences. Thank goodness, but let's make sure that we do all we can so that there is justice in the world. You know, there is mercy, there is forgiveness and compassion. And that if we learn anything, I hope we learned some of those words. You know, I hope we practiced them. I hope we had, we benefited from them because somebody else said, hey, you know, you tell me what's going on. You know, I have time for you, you know? That is just, that's a wonderful message to end our show. And I, I so appreciate your presence, your friendship, but I so appreciate your your being here this evening to, to really help us explore this, this really important transition through. Thank you. Well, thank you, Neil. Thank you. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Thanks again to my guest and friend, Reverend Dr. Harry Edwards III from First Presbyterian in Santa Fe. 
until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.